from 1 Timothy chapter 6, 6 to 16. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap, and to many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, man of God, flee from all of this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the sight of God, who gives life to everything, and of Christ Jesus, who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the confession, I charge you to keep this <clears throat> command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal, who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and might forever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, as we've opened the scriptures, we open our hearts now to your spirit. That you would bring to us a word that comes from your heart. You would speak to our very core. You would point our lives in the direction to which you're leading us and send your Holy Spirit to empower us that we would know what to do and have the courage to do it. Amen. Tonight I want to talk about giving and particularly about financial giving but root it in the idea of, of giving. And talking about money in church, already anxiety levels may be rising. Uh, this might be a subject for you that actually is a, one of great pain and, and immediate pressure. It might be more easy, you can feel, you wish your eyes could just drop to the floor. There'll be perhaps those of us in this room that right now are in the middle of, of financial pressure. And maybe some of us have had bad experience of money in church, have been at churches that money it felt wasn't dealt with in a good way, and looking back, we feel some pain. Well, can I just reassure you a couple of things at the beginning? I really hope that today brings freedom for you and creativity for this church. That's my hope for this. And no one's going to force you to give. There's going to be no manipulation or coercion. So I just hopefully you can just relax a little bit. This isn't going to be as, as painful as you might, you might be imagining. Before we get into it, let me just give a couple of points of context. Firstly, I think that money is such an important issue, obviously in the world around us, but also theologically. Jesus, one writer comments, talks more about money than anything else but the kingdom of God. Now, church is famous for talking about all kinds of things, some of them important, things like sex. The church is famous for talking about sex. Sex is clearly important. But I don't know if we always talk about money as much as, as Jesus does. It's a clearly, it's an important matter. 
And as a church, I'm not sure we've talked about it too much, partly because I think the church has talked about it wrong at points, in, you know, the church in general. And you don't want people to be harassed and it can be easy to let it slip that you don't talk about money too much because you don't want people to think they're paying to be part of church or they're going to be kind of forced into giving money to a, to a church. And also COVID's disrupted things, like Becky said, the way we do giving and all, all such things. So it's been easy, I think, to not talk about money for a while. The third bit of context is, of course, we're in a cost of living crisis. And if we're not talking about money, we're not talking about what's happening in the world. Right now, the whole nation is asking questions around money. People's feelings around money is heightening. So if we're not talking about money, we're not in the nation, clearly. And lastly, as Becky said, today in the church's calendar is All Saints, where we remember those that have gone before us and, and celebrate the faithful witness of those that are past and are remembering of even this building is 700 years old. But Christianity in Bow goes back to St. Leonard's, which we talked about earlier, a thousand years. And, and the lives and the witness and the giving of, of time and energy and money that's gone before us is something we're celebrating today and should inspire us to do the same. So those are just a little bit of context as we talk about this subject. But it's fundamentally tonight is about giving rather than about money. And there's a story about giving I just want to share with you. Have you seen Chariots of Fire? No little hands up. I won't hurt your hands if you put up. Yeah, yeah, a few. A few a couple, anyone not seen Chariots of Fire? You're forgiven. It's fine. But it's a good film. You can, you can, you can watch it later. Uh, Chariots of Fire tells the story of Eric Liddell, a famous sprinter. It's big in church circles because he doesn't run on the Sabbath. That's how it goes. He's in the Olympics in 1924 Paris, and he won't run on the Sabbath. He wants to honor God, and he, he can only enter the 400-meter race. He's a 100-meter sprinter, totally different races, but he, he enters that race because so he can't run on the Sabbath. And he wins anyway. It's a happy ending. It's a great story. But actually, there's another story from the same Olympics, the 1924 Paris Olympics, that I want to tell you about. And it's the story of Bill Havens. Bill Havens was a rower, an American rower, and the best of his generation. And when the American Olympic team got together, they said, he's the dead cert for a gold. He'll win. Like, definitely, of all our athletes, he is just an incredible rower. And all his career, he trained towards this moment. And it was his moment to, to win gold. But a few weeks before the Olympics, his, his wife somewhat surprised him and said, I'm pregnant. And because it's a long time before sort of plane travels and sort of quick flights, there's no way of getting there quickly. And he has to make a calculated decision. Because she says to him, I don't want you to miss the birth of your first child. I want you to stay. Now, his personal life, his training, his effort, all his energy has gone towards this one goal. And actually, many people's hopes are on this man. So the decision is costly and sacrificial, but he decides to stay. Bill Havens never goes to the Olympics, never competes, never gets his gold. He stays home and is with his wife and his child at his birth. His partner wins three gold medals and everyone celebrates, but Bill Havens never gets that, that gold medal moment. We'll cycle forward 28 years, and this is the 1952 Helsinki Olympics. And there's another American rower, and he has the same hype on him. He's dead sir to get a gold. He's the best rower of his generation. He's trained, and he's trained, and he's trained, and he competes, and he wins, and everyone celebrates. The American team go wild, and he gets the gold medal. And when he gets back to his hotel room, he writes a letter to his inspiration and his hero, Bill Havens. And the letter begins, Dear Dad, I'm bringing home your gold, your son. That story has 
everything to do with giving. In this case, what Bill Havens gave sacrificially, limiting his own ambitions so that he could be present at the birth of his son. He sacrificially gave something, and his son's response is to give back. Giving is fundamental to what's good about the world. And firstly, I would say that giving is God's. God gives. We have a God who gives abundantly. That's the slide, by the way. Well done. Correct. Uh, God gives. If, if God hadn't given, you wouldn't be here. You wouldn't be breathing. You wouldn't be able to do all the things you've done today. God gives. What we experience around us is the abundance of God's heart. We believe that God created all things. We worship a God who has given. It's what we celebrated at harvest last weekend. The God who gives. God gave in creation, but he also gave in salvation. He gave of himself sacrificially. And that's what evokes us about the Bill Havens story. It, our hearts are rising because it reminds us of the great story of God's sacrificial love. That he gave his son. Jesus died for us. God gives in creation, but also gives in salvation. God gives, but also we give. It's what's right about life, you know. As a parent, I know that Evangeline at the moment is really ill. She doesn't want to be anywhere near me. She just wants to be around her mum. But actually, I've got to give her what she needs. It's not always a thank you. You're not always thanked when you're a parent, but you've got to give. It's what's good about human relationships and friendships and society that we contribute to life. Otherwise, Christmas would be boring if you just gave yourself presents. We give to one another, and from the start of the church, it was all about giving. In Acts 2, we read about the early church. All the believers were together and had everything in common they shared. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. The church, from the very beginning, was about participation, about sharing, about giving to one another. So what do we give? Well, we do give money, but it's more than that, isn't it? We give ourselves. We give time, we give energy, we give attention. Learning to listen well. You know what it's like when you've been really listened to? It's so different from someone who, who, who you can just tell. They're just winding up to tell you their response to what you're saying. We give so much to God, to each other. But part of what we give is money. I want to talk about giving money and just park here for a few minutes because giving money is a really significant matter. It's built upon, everything I want to say is built upon the fact that we live in a universe where God has given to us and our lives are in one sense a choice we have to make is how to give back to God. And of course we give time, we give energy, but there is something critical about money. Money is just so powerful and the implication of, of, of money's power we know throughout all our lives. It pervades everything about us. See, money has the ability to replace God. That's why it's such a big deal. One of the words that Jesus uses for money is of a God, mammon. That's what that word comes from. It's a God. Money seems to take the place of God. Money can take the place of God. God fulfills the deepest human needs of security and significance, but money can seem to do that. Now, there's this phrase of, of what it is to worship something that isn't God, and that's an idol. An idol is when you worship something that's, that's created rather than the creator. Money lets us down, as all idols do. C.S. Lewis said, idols always break the hearts of their worshippers. Because money isn't God, but it appears to be God. It distorts things. It actually distorts things. 
because we end up adding a value to something that shouldn't be valued. That's what we looked at last week, how we've commodified the natural environment and given it a monetary value and therefore distorted the gift that it is. Money changes things for, for payment that should be just gift. Arguably, in the 20th century, we learned how to commodify things that just shouldn't be commodified, but human relationships and all sorts. Every time you look at your phone, you're a commodity. When you're not paying for something, you're the product, your attention. So much of our lives have been carved up and monetized. Money distorts, money's powerful. But there are two paradoxical realities of money that I think we need to hold in tension. It's what the writer Richard Foster calls the dark side and the light side of money. My friend actually described it, I think, even more acutely, and he talks about it as the destructive power of money and the creative potential of money. So the destructive power of money, well, like I said, firstly, it can take the place of God. But then idols always break the hearts of their worshippers. And the destructive power of money it reminds me of what it was like when I lived in Edinburgh and we ran a debt counselling service. And the centre manager would always go for safety reasons with someone else when she visited a client for the first time. So I would often go with her and just, just to be a, a support, just observe how she worked. And I remember just sitting with just normal people, just normal people who'd got themselves in debt that was crippling. And maybe it just started, just the smallest thing, wanting to just take a little loan to pay for Christmas presents. Often really good intentions. Not selfish people, often very, very giving people, generous people. And now, sometimes just a few thousand pounds was crippling people and, and built up debt, was suffocating people so that their health, their mental health was distorted and destroyed and people's lives were completely stuck under debt. I've seen and I've lived in and been to places where the lack of money, we call it poverty, just destroys life and destroys the ability for humans to survive. I've also been with very rich people, consumed by greed, fearful in their love of money. Our reading talks about the root of evil not being money, but the love of money, the desire for acquisition, the destructive power of money, but there's also the creative potential of money. There's someone in this church, an anonymous person, you'll never know who it is, but was telling me once about how they grew up going to a church that used to give them anonymous gifts so that their family could go on holiday. And they couldn't afford to go on holiday as a family. But because of these churches' gifts, they could. And was talking about the difference it made, the difference it made to them growing up be able to go on a holiday once a year. When we use money for others, when we use money to worship God, it's a wonderful thing. There's a creative potential in money. But when it replaces God, it ends up using us and we end up using others. The destructive power of money and the creative potential of money. Now, there are many postures towards money that I think are helpful. And each one is a sermon in and of itself, how to steward, how to invest, how to multiply. But there's something central about giving money that I just want to talk about. And with these two ideas, it shows us why giving is so important. Because when we give, we can break the destructive power of money. Even if it's a tiny amount, even if it's a very small amount. It's not so much about the amount, but the posture of your heart. When you give, even if you have little, there's a way of proclaiming that the money that I own isn't the boss of me. My life isn't governed by money. When we give, it can feel almost like a death with money. It's painful. 
But actually, it's the beginning of something new as well. It can be so generative in our own lives. It can break the power of the destructive power of money. It tackles the fear and tackles the greed. Something dies in us that needs to die sometimes when we give money. That's why monks and nuns have always taken a vow of simplicity. So in all the ancient orders, it was a key thing. If you want to be free of the destructive power of money, the allure of wealth, you take a vow of simplicity. Secondly, when we give it channels, the creative potential of money. As I've said, and I just gave that story, you see how in that one family, this one person remembers, had a gift, anonymously given of a church, changed their family history. And it's what we're doing as a church and what you're part of when we give. We can share and, and put our money together and do things that we couldn't do apart. And that's one of the questions that we're asking at the moment and would love your help thinking through, how do we respond to the cost of living crisis? As a church, together, the money that's been given, we've got some money that can do something. What should we do? How should we respond? It's hard to tackle those two dynamics, the destructive power of money and the creative potential, if you just hold on to your money. <laughs> if you just try and invest it and save it. All of these postures are important, but there's something about those two ideas that are tackled when, when we give. So then, fifthly, giving money to the church. Why is that important? Because so far, everything I've said, the fact that we live in a universe where giving is, is so important, the fact that giving money is part of that, that doesn't necessarily mean you have to give money to the church. <clears throat> well, let me just say why I think it's important. Firstly, I think it's part of our worship. Not all of our worship, but it's part of our worship. Why do we gather? Why do we gather once a week like this? Well, it's not just to worship. It's to orientate all of our worship. Why do we sing songs together? Because I want my imagination, I want my emotions to be fixed on Jesus all of the week. And so when I gather with my church community, the largest possible gathering that we can once a week, I celebrate and, and I exemplify what I want to happen the rest of the week because I want my life to be about giving to God, not just an hour on a Sunday. So we sing songs to tell us a story of what's happened, hopefully, over the week and what will happen next week, that our emotions and our imagination have been fixed on Jesus. Why do we open up the scriptures? Not that that's my you know, bit of the Bible done for the week and that's my bit of thinking of God, but I want my actions and my life to be infused with the word of God. And so with my church community, when we gather on a Sunday, I open the scriptures and sit under it, that, that the rest of my life would be animated by, by the scriptures. Why do we give money during an act of worship? Because I make thousands of spending decisions. Well, probably not thousands. It'd be quite nice if I did. But, but I make many decisions during the week and money constantly. And I want all of the decisions I make, ideally, to be worshipped to God. We worship collectively so that we would worship individually and in smaller groups and for everything we do. Uh, what we want to do when we gather is exemplify and animate and narrate the overall life of worship. So when we give money uh, as a gather at a gathering like this, it's part of our worship. But I think perhaps even more fundamentally, you give to a church because you're part of it. We are what we share. Even all that's happened tonight, We've shared in one another's gifts and everything that goes on in this building and beyond it on a Sunday and every part of the week, we are what we share, what we do for one another, what we give, our time, our attention. And money is part of that. It's a value system. It's an incredible revealer. It's a revealer of your worship, what you do with your money. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. It's a, it's a revealer of what you value. 
You give to a local church because you're part of it. It's a way to back the vision, back the community that you're part of. In the same way you'd volunteer and you'd give other, other parts of yourself to the church. It's the way to be part of it. So how do we give? There are many ways and many kind of ideas that I think are important to hold in intention. It's just as we kind of come towards an end, there are just three things I want to particularly focus on tonight. Firstly, that we give generously. Jesus said in Luke 6, Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, will be poured on into your lap. For the measure you use, it will be measured to you. My, my dad... Uh, trained accountants in Sudan. My parents lived in Sudan in the 80s and their stories and their stories about Sudan and actually a lot of stories to do with money have just really formed my imagination on this subject. My dad tells the story of how when you go to a Sudanese market, and I've seen it, it's an Arab culture thing, I've seen it the same in the Middle East. He said that everything was measured out with these tomato puree tins. And if you get beans or something like that, the way it would work is, is you would ask for your beans and the, the tin would go deep into the big sack. And then you lift it up and then shake it. And if the store owner was any good, then it would bang it down and then go again. And you would see the beans pouring down the side. And when it was completely overflowing, that's when you know it's ready to put into your bag. The same with flour. Or the same with anything like that. It's only at the point when it's been banged, shaken, banged, overflowing. Then it's been ready to give to your customer. And my dad contrasts that to what it was like growing up in England just after the war, when you sort of put, put a tiny, tiniest measure possible because you're rationing, and then you sort of just, just get it somewhere near the top, and then a finger would be run over the top to make sure that not a single bit was wasted or not a single bit was over, and then you would get your right amount because the right amount and what's fair is the minimum requirement. And he says that there was a time when he made his, his Sudanese colleague a cup of tea, and he gave it to his colleague, and his, his colleague said, ah, English measure. And there was a big gap, and he said, the problem with you English is that you're so afraid you'll spill it, you don't know how to live generously. You're so afraid that you might waste some that you don't have to give. Now, this is the image that Jesus has in mind, to give generously. My favorite phrase that we use, everyone uses it, is to give without strings, to fully give, to give like I give Evangeline things, knowing they'll be chewed up. Not because I like, want her to use it a certain way, not that I put this, you can only have this piece of paper if you draw a perfect piece of art. She's not. She's going to draw something that looks strange and I'm going to enjoy it because I'm a father but that's not how I give the piece of paper to her I don't give it with strings when you give to the church give generously give without strings give for others get involved of course in, 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 in how money's run and get involved in the PCC all our stuff everything's transparent and accountable but don't give with strings don't give as payment none of this is payment you're not paying God or paying church you're part of it so give generously Secondly, give joyfully, it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever, whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Now, the first, all of that, you know, it, exactly as I've been saying, give generously. I hope no one will ever give reluctantly in this church, that's a prayer for mine, and no one will ever give under compulsion, force, that's a prayer for me, for this church. Last clause there, for God loves a cheerful giver, and some translations say hilarious giver, because the word is hilarion, it means hilarious. And I've been in cultures where joyful giving is part of the Sunday worship. 
I know what it's like to see a cloud of of dust at the end of a church service because at the moment of giving, there's such dancing that it creates dust in the air and stays there. Not awkwardness, not screwed up notes dropped that no one would see because it's really embarrassing. Public, celebratory, joyful giving. And often, when I've seen the most joyful giving, it's been in situations where people have had the least. We have an abundance, and we're awkward about it. We're embarrassed. We need to get over that as a church. Give generously and give joyfully. And lastly, give sacrificially. Luke 21, Jesus says, As Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put, it, put in two very small copper coins. Truly I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all of these. All of these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she gave out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. As well as giving generously and joyfully, we give sacrificially. And this passage reminds us of something that I would love you. If you remember anything, take this away. It's not about the amount you give. It's the posture of your heart. She gave abundantly in terms of her heart, and she was honored by Jesus. She gave generously. It's not about the amount you give. It's the posture of your heart. But here, Jesus calls out not just her heart, but also that she gave sacrificially. When you give, as you give time, for example, by being here, you can't do something else. I don't know what you'd rather do. Maybe it's watch Netflix. Maybe it's do some knitting. Maybe it's go for a run, cook a stew. I don't know. Whatever you're into. Watch Chariots of Fire. Whatever it is, by being here, you can't do something else. Time is a value and so is money. But it's a value that pinches, doesn't it? Because if I were to say you should give in such a way that means you can't do something else. Oh! But that's exactly what you've done with time. Any constraint, any restriction on your life means freedom in one sense, but also small death. Well, when we feel that with money, we also feel its power, and that's why giving is so important, because it allows us to realize that actually without giving, without giving to a point of sacrifice, we haven't stepped into that journey of following Jesus where we've given over our our finances. So we give generously, give joyfully, and give sacrificially. And why are we doing this? Again, we start where we started, God gives and therefore we give. Jesus was given so generously by a father whose love was greater than his judgment, than his frustration at the way in which the world was messed up, but his love was so abundant, his gift was so generous, he gave of his son. It says for Jesus that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. God gave joyfully. And the sacrifice is there every Good Friday in the songs we sung earlier. The pain and the horror of the cross in its confusion and its, its terror reminds us of the incredible sacrifice that God made in his giving of the world and then in salvation in the giving of Jesus. We give in imitation of God. We step into a generous, joyful, sacrificial story. So as we land, we talked about the destructive power of money and the creative potential of money. So some of us will probably feel crippled. This talk may have even felt like more pressure and and money may be an issue for you. The thing that I would want to say is get help. 
It's not embarrassing. There was a time when Lulu and I were down to 28 pounds. And this is when we were first married, we were trying to uh, give away lots of money. Um, and we were also trying to live very simply. But we were down to 28 pounds. And we had phone contracts. And that's true. I don't mean like, oh, and the, and the saving. No, I actually mean it. I'm unembarrassed. We were down to 28 pounds, full stop. And our outgoings, I think, with phone contracts and anything else, was about 60 pounds for that month. I prayed. I tried to get a job. I put on a suit jacket. I walked around. We're living in a Spanish town. I walked around. I couldn't get a job. I asked for help. That's the next thing I did. Ask for help. You're part of a church community. Please ask for help if money feels like you're under the destructive power of it. Whether it's greed or poverty or whatever it is, if money feels like it's got a hold on you, you need help. That's why you're part of a church. Secondly, be part of the creative potential of money. And there are two ways I want to encourage particularly. Firstly, just take a step. Take a step to give to your church. Uh, if, you're, if, this is your ch- if you're visiting, I apologize. I always have a habit of going to churches when they're doing this talk. And if this isn't your church, feel just released. But if this is your church, I'd love to encourage you to give. And these are some ideas of just the way you can do that. If you've never given before, just give a one-off gift. And uh, in a little while, we're going to have a sort of a contact list thing at the back. There's a donations uh, box there. You can put cash in. And there's a real uh, contact list thing. Um, give a one-off gift, just give it a go, because it can feel intimidating. What do I do? You know, the first time I gave to a church, it was, it was, I used to, my mum used to, we used to, used to give us like a pound, you know, when we were kids. And, and I, st- I started young, but, you know, it doesn't really matter what it is. Just have a go. And if it doesn't kill you, and you still survive, I'd love to encourage you to think about regular giving. There are two reasons. One, I would love to be a free, spontaneous, generous person all the time. I'd love to say that every moment of my life, I want to just give endlessly. But that's not the case. And so by making a plan and looking at what I earn, what I can afford to give, and then doing it, it means that I make a decision that curates my heart rather than hoping that I might feel like giving each day. So firstly, regular giving helps you. Secondly, it helps the church a lot as well. Because if it's planned, we can make plans. And plans are good, aren't they? And particularly as we grow and as things change, that's really helpful. If you already are regular giving like me, I'm using this opportunity and I'd love to invite you to join me in this. Just review your giving. Can you give more? And at this point, we're thinking, wow, this is the cost of living. This is probably the time when I was thinking I'm going down a bit. I'd actually say that for the reasons I've shared, this is one thing I'd encourage you not to take out of your, your outgoings and to consider whether your worship and your contribution to church and this church means that this is not something that you should decrease. In fact, ask the question, is there something that you can sacrifice and increase? And then maybe you've had a great year. And as well as increasing your regular giving, you think, actually, I've made a mad amount of money. I want to be generous and joyfully and sacrificially give, give to church. But just whatever you've done, you know, take the next step. Um, but don't overthink it. Don't feel pressure. No one's going to check up on you. Don't worry about it. If, if, if this feels like this is has more and more pressure, then just swipe this slide to the side and have a conversation with someone instead. The second thing in terms of if, if, if we're talking about the creative potential of money and how to respond, take a step to giving to your church and then get involved in what we do. Like, what are your ideas? We've got some money. Let's do something with it. What do you want to do? And how can you be involved? Are you good at accounts? You've got a calculator last Christmas, don't know what to do with it? Well, there's a lot of work that goes into make sure that we're transparent, accountable, and well-governed. And there's a heck of a lot of work, in fact, to make sure that we, we follow all the charity commissions thing, and that, that every year there's an annual meeting that will happen next spring, and that accounts are prepared, and people can look at it, and that things are just trapped and done. It would be great to have you involved. 
If you've got gifts in this area, if you've got ideas, we've got budding businesses and entrepreneurs in this church, people that walk around and see the needs of the community, say, why don't we do this? Why don't we do that? I mean, of course, if you have an idea, we're going to ask that you get involved in doing it. You know, it's more than just ideas. But how can you help? Take a step and give financially and then help us spend. Let's do something. This is a time not to backtrack on generosity. This is a time not to backtrack on, on, on being joyful and unembarrassed. And this is a time to be sacrificial for others. And the Bill Haven story, it's just beautiful. It's a natural response, isn't it, when you've been given amazing gifts, precious gifts to give back. I was with someone today at the very end of her life, um, and when I left, the daughter of the person who's dying wanted to pay me because I went to visit. And of course, I'm like, no, <laughs> it's not no part of this. It is a financial thing. But I got it. I get that quite a lot. In my job, it means I'm often with people where things feel heightened and profound, and their first response is, can I give you some money? Because in those moments, we understand the power of money as a value. I didn't want anything. I just want to remind you of the power of money that can be over us. But if we stand above it, we can use it for others. We give as a response to what God's given to us.